0: That okay. the monsters among us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes.
1: Star Star
2: C add out. Star copies all go ahead. Message to observer. Alpha three rounds
3: AT delay in effect. Three guns. Bro two rounds. Two guns smoke on effect. C ad cash DOT sixteen. Target number hotel november 5209
0: request class out. Ladies. Gentlemen, Creatures of the Night, thank you for choosing Monsters Among Us for your listening pleasure. Tonight's mid-season episode is a special one. A couple of months back, I asked for submissions from members of the Armed Forces, and just as I expected, they delivered. Now, I have a pile of submissions to work through, so what do you guys say? Should we get started? To kick off this evening, we venture west, over the Pacific, to the tiny islands of Hawaii. The following is Eli's double submission.
4: Hey Derek, calling in with some military stories. So back in 2015, I was on deployment with the Navy, somewhere in the Middle East area out in the ocean saw a lot of crazy things, but one of the scariest things that happened was, so there's a ghost that sits on the aft end of the ship that a lot of the watchstanders named the No-Face Man. Well, I had never seen him and all that kind of stuff. Well, one particular day, a friend of mine was standing mid-watch. I didn't sleep real well on deployment, so he asked if I could come out there and just keep him company for a little while, and I said, no big deal. About 12.30, 1 o'clock, I head out there, and my buddy's face is just ghost white. I'm like, dude, what's up? And he said, man, there's something sitting in that chair. There's a chair right up against the bulkhead and he was over on the railing. And I looked back and sure enough, there was what looked like a person sitting there that didn't have a face. And we just kind of looked at him for a while and nothing really had happened. And after about an hour or so, we looked back and he was gone. Well, I didn't think anything of it until Early 2016, I was with a guy doing watch-up on the flight deck. We were offloading a bunch of the munitions we had, and No-Face Man had moved from the aft end of the ship to the flight deck. I walked out of a space that was right up on the flight deck where we were doing stayed in to try to keep warm a little bit, and I turned the corner outside of the space and was face-to-face with a solid human figure that I could see all his features except for his face. I saw hands, I saw feet. I even saw that he was wearing a older military uniform that we called dungarees in the Navy. So that freaked me out pretty bad. And after that, I was very thankful to never have another run-in with No Face Man. That's one of my military stories. I figured this one would get a kick too. And I want to know if anybody else has ever seen anything like this. So again, on my 2015 deployment, we had left Hong Kong two days prior and we're out in the middle of the ocean somewhere and a friend of mine, different from the friend that I called in at the previous story, just said he wanted me to see something that he's seen the last couple of nights, last couple of times he'd been out there on watch on the aft end of the ship again. So, of course, I'm into weird stuff and paranormal and all that, so I wanted to see what he was seeing. So I go back there just before midnight. You know, I've always heard about the flash that you see when the sun sets and things like that. This was not that, the sun has already set, it was pitch black stars in the sky open night nothing crazy and he just told me to watch the horizon so as I'm watching the horizon this green light shoots up from the water or the horizon or whatever and he calls it in to the bridge they tell him on his headset and the bridge tells him to hold on and they were get back to him and as he's waiting for them to call back he's like watch they're gonna tell me just to watch it and say nothing sure enough somebody comes over to him on the headset I can't hear it and he says copy off looks over at me and just starts smiling and I said what Said they told me to just keep an eye on it and don't say anything so we watched it for a good what felt like maybe five seven minutes or so and it just starting from the horizon going up into the air just disappeared don't know what it was don't know if anybody else has ever seen it i know there's a theory that extraterrestrials are actually under us rather than above us want to know if anybody else has ever seen anything like that love your stuff keep it up can't wait for the military stories bye Derek.
0: thank you eli now nothing beats a good haunted ship story and eli's experience is not a rare occurrence in the u.s alone there are a number of military ships that tout claims of the paranormal. The USS Battleship Texas recently opened a nightly ghost tour. The USS Lexington, docked in Corpus Christi, Texas, also has received claims of the ghostly variety. As has the USS Wisconsin, the USS Iowa, and even the majestic Queen Mary, which served as a military transport during World War II. And our very own Sarah Dinsmore has had her own experience with ghostly voices, knocks, whistles, and a laundry list of other experiences from the USS Salem. Now another infamously haunted military vessel is the USS North Carolina, and who better to hear stories from about this infamously haunted ship than the night guardman?
5: The battleship North Carolina has been docked here in Wilmington since 1961. Tourists climb aboard every day, but only one man stays aboard every night. What's it like to be on board that huge, hulking, creaking metal monster? Just ask the night watchman, a man with nerves of steel. The thing that makes this as scary is, in my situation, uh, I'm the only one on here, and it's at night.
1: And sometimes at night, Danny Bradshaw feels he's not the only one on here.
5: I hear this. Footsteps. Footsteps? I shined the light real quick, standing right there in that passageway is where I saw the ghost. He had white flames shooting out of his head. And when I saw him, I started screaming.
2: Ah! I
5: went crazy. I, I just lost it. And then he turned his head away, and that was it. It lasted maybe no more than five seconds. Danny Bradshaw has worked aboard the battleship for 30 years. People ask me, they say, well, how the God's world do you stay on a ship and not get haunted? It's so rare that these things happen. Every day when I come into work, I don't think about it. That
1: is, until it happens again.
5: That ghost was standing right there. It was the same one that I saw there. He did just like this, turn, looked at me and looked away and disappeared. Do you think you're mistaken in what you saw? No, no. Um, the encounters that I've had, I mean, it's unbelievable the, the things that have happened. You know, I've I've faked comments and I've heard people say it. I'd like to see a ghost. Believe me, you never want to see one. You'll carry it with you to the day you die. I think you'll see the ghost again? I hope to God I never sin.
0: That clip comes courtesy of WRAL.com. Now, since Eli's call was a two-parter, Let's focus on the second half, that strange light that he saw over the ocean. Now, you may be shocked to hear that this type of thing is repeated quite often. In fact, these sightings are older than the European discovery of the Americas. Check out this report from a polarizing historical figure, an experience that seems to usher in a new discovery that will change the planet forever.
6: October eleventh, fourteen 1492, 10 p.m., a calm, clear night. Christopher Columbus and his crew move slowly across one of the deepest ravines of the Atlantic and through the Bermuda Triangle. Below them is almost four miles of water. Suddenly, unearthly lights are seen flashing across the bottom of the ocean. In less than five hours, they would discover the New World. This possible USO incident is more than just legend and lore. For the first time ever, original text from Columbus's log has been made available to the History Channel by archivists at Fordham University. Custodian of a rare handwritten copy of the journal. The October 11, 1492 sighting was not an isolated occurrence. Over the two month journey, Columbus's log exhibits a consistent pattern of cryptically reported peculiar incidents. Entries on both September 17th and September 20th indicate that stars, or other unidentified lights in the sky, are seen to move. The cause was that the star moved from its place, but the needles remained stationary. And from the infamous entry of October 11th, the Admiral, at 10 o'clock that evening, standing on the quarterdeck, saw a light. Calling to Perro Guterres, he told him he saw a light, and bid him look that way, which he did, and saw it. The Admiral again perceived it once or twice, appearing like the light of a wax candle moving up and down. Is it possible that these strange events, recorded during the most fabled nautical journey in history, were the result of otherworldly vessels tracking Columbus's fleet?
0: That clip comes from an old UFO Files episode on the History Channel. The sighting, report, and journal entry are hotly debated, Many feel the entire thing has been fabricated. But I should point out that pilots in World War II saw strange lights that they called Foo Fighters. The number of UFO sightings goes up in areas in and around nuclear testing sites. So is it that these entities are there for a major event in human history, keeping an eye on us? Or if we really want to speculate, Could they be time travelers, nonchalantly revisiting some of humankind's most monumentous moments? Oh yeah, there's one more thing. They were mere miles from shore, so perhaps they experienced some sort of bioluminescent bacteria, like what has been lighting up the beaches here in Southern California over the past few weeks. The truth is, we'll probably never know. But thank you, Eli, for that great submission. Our next story from the service comes to us from Logan. Logan, the floor is yours.
7: Hello, my name's Logan I'm calling about your military stories and I have a pretty good one. So it was January, 2014. I was stationed at Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. I was with a unit named 121 ACO, and we were doing a live fire squad training exercise one night from the Koli, Koli mountain range. Which there's been stories of stuff happening there before as far as ghosts and stuff. And as my platoon did a live fire exercise one night, the other platoon that that was there, they were training for it. Well, they heard a woman screaming enough that they got everyone ready with night vision to go search the jungle to find a woman out there. And they searched for hours and they found nothing. We didn't hear about this story until later on, and that same night, we had actually had someone running through our sleeping area, which I don't know if listeners may know, but you have a fire guard, which will stay awake one hour every night, kind of rotate through, and they found no one. But yet, people, someone was running through our sleeping area, and pe- people were waking up to someone running through the area. But uh, yeah, that was my story.
0: Thank you, Logan. That one will make your hair stand up. So perhaps strangely enough, my first suspect here was actually Bigfoot. Anyone that's listened to the show for any length of time knows that Sasquatch is believed to scream at night. The reasons vary. In addition, the running through the camp scenario also rings of Bigfoot behavior. But unless things have changed recently, Hawaii has long stood as the only state in the Union without a reported Sasquatch sighting. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're probably barking up the wrong tree with Bigfoot. But who else, or what else, would be foolish enough to mess with a bunch of servicemen in the field, let alone trespass in their camp? Hawaii has some amazing folklore, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was some story out there that fits this description, although I was unable to find it. Regardless, thank you again, Logan, for sharing that creepy submission. You know, maybe one of the uh, listeners out there knows of such folklore from the Aloha State. If so, you know what to do. And this doubles for anyone else with a supernatural encounter anywhere in the world. Just call the hotline at one 888 608 That's 1-888-608-6444. And speaking of submissions and seamless segues, our next frightening fable was brought to us from Jamie in Colorado.
8: Hey Derek, my name is Jamie. I'm from Texas. I'm currently residing in Colorado in the Boulder area. I was thinking about calling in and finally contributing to the podcast, and I heard the call out for uh, military stories, so I took that as a sign, decide to give you a call and finally tell you uh, probably probably the most crazy supernatural related story of my life. So this happened in the summer of 2014 when I was deployed to East Afghanistan to a uh, a, a really small FOB called Camp Clark uh, north of a city called Coast. I don't remember exactly what month this was, but it was definitely in the in the middle of the summer and the first thing that started happening I guess I should preface with the, the other creepy thing that happened before the main event was on the uh, far side of this area where that was meant for um, landing helicopters. It was just a gravel field, but not the small kind of gravel, but the palm-sized rocks that you might see on the side of railroad tracks. We would have to pull guard on the, on the other side of this uh, wall at all hours, you know, 24-7. And oftentimes you have to, you know, just walk out there at night to replace somebody for guard. It's important to note as well, there's no light pollution where we were at. We use no lights at night, except for red lights, obviously, because just to avoid uh, giving you know snipers or mortar teams an easy shot at us, so we just used red lights. And during a new moon, you could hold your hand right in front of your face, right past your nose, and you, you can't see a thing. What started happening is uh, sometimes at night when I'd be walking to or back from this guard shift, specifically on new moon nights, I noticed I would be walking... And uh, I could have swore I heard uh, other footsteps right behind me, you know, uh, making sound in the gravel. And I would stop. The creepiest thing is I would stop and I would just turn around and I would hear a couple more footsteps come. And it almost felt like somebody was standing right beyond the short distance my red light could see. And, of course, I would take a couple more steps towards that direction to see if I could see anything. You know, I would almost walk in a circle because it it was making me so crazy. It happened uh, almost every time. Another handful of guys in my platoon noticed the same thing. A lot of other guys had no idea what we were talking about. The night in question that I'm calling about was, um, long story short, I was just on guard at our vehicles. We had really old vehicles with bad radios, and it took a long time for our our radio techs to make sure everything was online and connected and had all our channels set. And sometimes the night before a mission where we were going to use those vehicles, which was pretty rare, usually we went on foot, We would have to keep the the vehicles on all night, which was pretty easy. The batteries in them were so efficient. You just had to idle it a couple of times a night for 20 minutes or so, and the vehicle would stay on. On this night, it was my responsibility to keep the trucks running throughout the night. I actually covered down for a friend of mine who was a guy in my platoon who was running on little to no sleep. I was uh, sitting in one of the trucks just reading a book. I start hearing footsteps again. And, you know, of course, me, I'm thinking it's anybody from my platoon sergeant to first sergeant to come check on me, make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be. And every time I would put my head out, nobody would be there, though. The next thing that happened is kind of this disturbing part. Up to this point, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you uh, a little bit of lore that I heard before this happened, which I don't know if is related to the event or not, honestly. Uh, I'm wondering if I just invented this in my head. But a bunch of guys I had been talking to, you know, Long security shifts, you talk. Guys were telling me that the 10th Mountain Division, the you know that we replaced when we went there, said that there was a ghost on post. And actually, specifically in one of the guard towers that overlooked the staging area for our vehicles, they say he uh, shot himself in this tower, and they described him as just as uh, a black guy wearing BDUs, which was a camo pattern that the Army used uh, shortly before I... Uh, yeah, right before I actually joined the military is, is when they changed it to Digicam. I don't think they said what unit patch he had on though, but they said he, he was a, a black man and he was uh, a kid really, and he was wearing BDUs. I was sitting in one of the vehicles that was currently running and I uh, had a little soft light on, and I was using that to read my book. I don't know what made me look over, but I, I looked up from my book and I just casually kind of glanced to the left, and in the vehicle next to mine, where there's also kind of a soft glow of light, I see. If if, I mean, if this is real, if this is true, I see who I think this was. And it was just a moment, but I look over and I see a black guy staring straight ahead as if he doesn't even know I exist. He's just staring blankly ahead. He was wearing BDUs and he had blood dripping from the top of his head down the side of his face that was facing me. And I could see one of his eyes and his eyes were like whited out. I don't remember having the thought to look away or anything, but just... Unconsciously, something forced me to look away, like I I, I was seeing something I shouldn't. And when I looked back, he was gone, of course. The strangest part about what happened, and I'm sorry, I should clarify, this happened around 3 a.m. and then I didn't hear any footsteps the rest of the night. After this deployment, the strangest thing that came about from this, shortly after getting home, I started having these uh, reoccurring dreams of that exact moment where I look over and I see him, except this time, instead of looking away, I can't look away. And I'm just kind of frozen looking at him. Except this time, instead of just looking straight forward, he slowly turns his head to look at me. He looks at me, and both of his eyes are widened out. And slowly, he starts opening his mouth with what I would describe as a very excited look like in his eyes. He's slowly opening his mouth, but he has this look of excitement on his face as he does it. And sand starts gushing, pouring out of his mouth. And uh, then I would wake up. Just when I think this reoccurring dream, I'm kind of done with it, you know, of course it comes. But now it's down to just a couple of times a year, I would say. When I first got home, it was a couple of times a month and had a much more severe reaction to it as well. Yeah, supernaturally speaking, that's the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm fully aware that, you know, this was close to 3 a.m. You know, I was stressed like crazy, working like crazy, getting little to no sleep. But other things supernatural related have happened to me and um, they've never stuck with me like this has Thank you so much for the podcast. It's been a good friend throughout this
0: uh, isolation process.
8: Yeah, appreciate it Derek. Again, thanks for hearing my story.
0: I appreciate your work as well, Jamie. And your ominous entry. I love the simplicity of this experience. No over-the-top build-up. Just a turn and boom. Full-body apparition. And don't let the fact that what Jamie saw looked quite similar to previous reports in that area, slipped by us. I think that's a pretty important mention right there. So thank you again, Jamie. That's one I'll be thinking about next time I'm parked to some cars in a parking lot late at night. Like I said, I have a heaping pile of entries to shovel through here. So not all calls will have in-depth analysis. Let's call this a rapid fire. No pun intended. The next in the chamber is a killer of a story by way of the state of Texas. Please welcome Rob to the program.
9: Hey Derek, this is Rob Gonzalez from Brownsville, Texas. I got a great military story for you. It's a secondhand story because it didn't happen to me. It happened to a guy I used to work with, but it's still a really good one. So some years back, I think it's probably like 15 years by by the time now, but um, he used to actually be a military serviceman in Mexico. His unit was actually a special unit that covered narcos kind of drug lords and stuff you know in, in in the Mexico area, so what happened was um his unit got a tip that there was a a drug lord kind of hide, hiding out in some certain mountain area i'm not really sure where, but so since it wasn't really you know hundred percent verified, he wasn't you know sure if it was a real tip or not. They only sent a couple of guys out there. I think it was actually three at the time, so they go out to the mountains they're looking around I think they spent like two or three days out there. They couldn't find anything. And finally, on the fourth day, they kind of come across like a little shanty, like a little just shack out there in in the middle of nowhere. So they knock on the door. An old lady answers. It's just her and her husband. They look around the house, empty. There's nobody there. They kind of walk around the perimeter, nothing. So, you know, they they move on, go about their business. They go a couple hundred yards after that, and it's getting kind of late. So they decide to sleep there in in a field. It's almost like a cornfield. So... They go to bed for the night. It's him and the two other guys. He said he was suddenly woken up in the middle of the night by like the sensation that he was being dragged by his feet. He said his head was knocking his you know he felt something pulling on his leg, and so he grabbed his gun. he cocked it. He opened his eyes, and when he opened his eyes, he just suddenly like stopped he He was just there in the middle of the field. He kind of looked around, he didn't see nothing. He heard a scream you know maybe 40 50 yards away he looked up and he saw one of his uh i guess you can call him friend i guess he was getting dragged into like the timber line there was some trees he got dragged out he got up he started chasing him the guy that was also with him was still a couple couple yards behind i guess he didn't get dragged or anything like that so they got up they both started running they never found the guy they called in for some reinforcements some I think it took like a day or two for the the reinforcements to get there. They kind of looked around the area. They never found nothing. The guy just was gone. They went back to the the shanty and the people, the the husband and the wife, the old lady, they were just gone. Like there was nothing there. It, it seemed like no one had been there for years. So I really don't know if you want to call this paranormal, maybe witch, you know, something like that. But I thought it was a really good story. I don't know if. Uh, and the context really you know, fills out your military story or not, but there you go. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Rob. The story is wild. Now I'll admit, it's tough to get a beat on this one. I mean, what exactly are we dealing with here? Aliens, a ghost, a wild man, or perhaps as Rob suggested, a witch. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll leave you with yet another suggestion that I bet a handful of you never thought of. Glimmer Man. So thanks again, Rob. I'd love to hear from anyone else that has heard or experienced something similar, especially in that same region of the world. Now up next we hear an entry from Jesse from parts unknown.
10: This is Jesse Pug for the military show. First off, I was just listening to the podcast today where Billy went from Arkansas saw the dragons in the telescope. I just got done listening to a story about that uh, girl saw three dragons in the sky get into a, a flying saucer. I thought it was kind of crazy, but it's interesting that somebody else is seeing the same thing. Uh, kind of makes you think. It's from our when I was in the Marine Corps, I was in the Marine Corps for 12 years. And uh, back in 2004, I did a stint at this fuel laboratory where uh, we'd, they'd offload fuel and we'd do dispatch for trucks and a lot of different stuff. But when you come into the office, it was a uh, picture of two squares with a rectangle connecting the two offices. And there was a plexiglass door as soon as you walk in and to your right with the plexiglass window of the door. And you would see a shadowy figure there. And so when I first get there, people tell me it's haunted and I'm like, okay, you know, don't know what to think, but every now and then you'd be talking to somebody out of the corner of your eye, you see somebody standing there and you go look over and they kind of float away. And a few times in there by myself, I kind of see something and you go open the door and nobody's there. People would come in and be like, who's that back there? Kind of look, go, you know, white in the face and people would see it. So it was kind of interesting. Later on, we were uh, unloading uh, a couple million gallons of fuel, so I'm sitting there by myself and I'm playing the game Doom 3 when it first came out. Lights off, spooking myself out, and sometime during the night I felt a hand grab my shoulder. I shoot up and run out. Had to use the walkie-talkie outside for a bit, and kind of pretty spooky. But uh, hope you can
0: use it, but uh, thank you. Keep up the good work. Bye. Thanks, Jesse. Was Jesse touched by the other side? Or did he simply have doom on the mind and an overactive imagination? And what the hell is with these dragons? This is the third mention for those keeping score. Thank you again, Jesse, for sharing your entry. Now our next story was submitted by someone we'll call Joe.
11: Hi, Derek. I hope you don't mind me not using my actual name or stating my actual place of living state. You can call me Joe. So, this happened in late September of 2018. I'm in the National Guard and I was. During that time training at Fort Benning, Georgia, I was in the initial entry time period we call reception, which is when you receive uniforms and get medical checkups and stuff like that. I was there for a month, which is kind of irregular. It's usually only supposed to take like seven days or somewhere in that ballpark, but Someone messed up paperwork allegedly, and like me and uh, I want to say like 200 other dudes get held up. Anyhow, so I was there for a month. And for those who have gone to Fort Benning, Georgia for basic training in AIT and anything like that, uh, my armor, cavalry, and infantry friends and such. This building that you stay in is called 30th AG, or that in that entire part of the base, which is where like all the checkups and stuff happens. And um, I guess you could say the living quarters there, the barracks, they were just really, really densely packed with negative energy. I think you you could probably say that it's probably due to the fact that uh, there are so many suicides that take place like every year there. Uh, I know just before I showed up, this is mildly graphic and I apologize, but one guy couldn't take it anymore. And he jumped off of the building, the barracks, and shattered both of his legs and was taken to a hospital where he went on to drink bleach and afterwards died. Due to all this, there have been a lot of rumors and such about um, how haunted the building is. I'd like to basically affirm that that's basically true. I was on a fire guard shift one night, probably around midnight or one in the morning. And for those of you who don't know, fire guard is like different people, like maybe one or two dudes will wake up at a certain hour of the night to like clean and stuff like that. Me and my buddy were on a fire guard shift and just the weirdest stuff was happening. Showers turning on and off and I don't mean like they were just like leaking or anything like that. Like you had to to like fully activate them, you had you had to like pull the thing out, the handle or whatever, and then turn it to whatever pressure or temperature or whatever that you desired. But twenty of these things just went on all at once that that one night. And same thing would happen, um, with the sinks and stuff like that every other night. Yeah. I, I there's just a lot of weird stuff man I mean it was crazy saw some shadows nonsense like that like seven foot tall masses of shadow roughly in the shape of men I'm not much of a believer in that kind of stuff I'm more of a skeptic but after that experience a bit more willing to accept um, some of these stories that you show on the podcast yeah love the show I've only been listening it to uh, for a couple days at this point but um, yeah keep up the good work man Uh, Have a good night.
0: I appreciate it, Joe. I can only imagine the negative energy that can accumulate in a place like that. If it works this way, I could see how that negativity could attract some of the dark nasties that Joe had mentioned. Thanks again, Joe, for sharing. We sure appreciate the entry. So now that this military episode is halfway in the books... It's time to start focusing on the Season 9 Finale in the next installment of Hometown Legends. Remember, Hometown Legends can be a lot of things. Haunted woods, lost treasure, mysterious strangers, famous UFO sightings. If it's strange and unusual, and it happened in your town, I want to hear about it. So again, that hotline is 1-888-608-NIGHT and please don't forget to say the words Hometown Legends early in the call. I searched the transcription for the keywords, so that's pretty important. Our next submission comes via an assist. The following is Amy's entry from Idaho. Hi, my name's Amy, and I work at the Boise, Idaho Veterans
12: Hospital. This is... I guess the story about military, which is what my wife said you were looking for. I was at work one night. I'm a nursing manager at night on hospital. Uh, part of my job is rounding on all the units and making sure they're they're doing okay and they have what they need. I'd always I've worked at the veterans hospital for quite some time and I've always heard stories of of ghosts being seen. I'd never personally, until this night, seen one. I was going from the third floor back down to my office on the first floor and when you get in the elevator, you usually because of the lead in the walls, because of the x-ray department, you can't hear too much and I could loudly hear singing and I thought well that's really odd because it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Why would somebody be singing so loud? So the elevator opened on the first floor and I could hear that the, the singing was coming from the clinic area which is closed at this time of day. And occasionally we'll have a homeless person get into the building and so usually another part of my job is to kick him out. So I'm like, Oh, I have to go find one and as I turned towards the clinic I saw an apparition of a navy man in full white but you could see through him and he had a mop in his hand and he was singing as he mopped. And he turned and looked at me and I saw him And I just said, carry on. And I turned around and booked it back to my office. When I got back to my office, I told my secretary, I said, oh, my gosh, I just saw a ghost. And our security guard happened to be standing there. And I relayed what I saw. And he goes, I've seen that guy, too. He's over by the canteen and the clinic areas. And I said, yeah, that's where I saw him. And so I'm not the only one. That is actually seeing this particular ghost in the building. Anyway, my wife and I really enjoy the podcast and hope this
0: helps. Thank you, Amy. 13 entries, and surprisingly, this is the only one from a military hospital. I would have guessed I would have received quite a few from that setting. Now, this might be a slight exaggeration, but I swear, every veteran hospital that I'm aware of seems to have its own haunting. So thanks again Amy, and a big thanks to your wife for encouraging you to share your tale. Now don't forget we have shirts, mugs, totes, and a few other goodies in the shop. In addition, I've been in contact with two amazing artists regarding a few new products, including a felt pennant and a patch. Well normally that's not exactly a speedy process, and given the current state of things, It slowed the process even further, but we're doing our best to get new and exciting products in for you guys to enjoy. And it should never go without saying, thanks to everyone that spends money in the shop. Those sales, combined with Patreon, helps keep the show running and helps keep things relatively ad-free. Alright, here's a call I never expected to receive on a special episode like this. But here we are. This is a submission by Dutch.
2: Hi Derek, this is Dutch. This is for your military episode. Stories from the military you're doing. I was in the United States Marine Corps' NO-331 infantry machine gunner for about ten and a half years. And back in 2011, this was after we came back from Afghanistan. So I mean, we, you know, our, our senses were still pretty heightened and still pretty sure of what we saw so pretty sure I know what I saw unless you know I was mistaken it was summer of 2011 we went out on a week-long field op to a place on Pendleton called Red Beach I was up in the turret for the whole whole time being same driver you know we get a pretty good rapport with each other and get to know each other pretty well so after the week-long field op you know we get to bed at about Pretty late at night, about midnight, and early morning wake up, and, you know, we're all excited and hop in the trucks, and it's our turn to depart. It's pretty sunny at about probably, I'd say, zero six zero seven, So we're coming back, traveling north, and something pops out on the right side of the road out of the bushes, and it walks out on its hind legs. It, would, it, it appeared with its front legs kind of curled in, walking somewhat upright and the animal had black leathery skin with kind of patchy hair or fur and when it got out to the middle of the road it kind of looked around and when it spotted us it, it turned to run off and you could see kind of a black hump on its upper upper body uh, behind the shoulder blades running down the back. So after it, it saw us it ran off on all fours sprinting away into the the brush, and the best description of this creature, besides the uh, the black leather skin with patchy fur, I can give, its uh, hind legs were kind of shaped like a wallabies, I would say, if you ever seen one of them, but kind of jointed like a dog, so a little doggish, and the the front paws were like I'd say large, large raccoon type hands and arms, but it was able to use them when it sprinted away the face was kind of dogish kind of animalish i know coyotes are present in this area but although it had dogish features it did not look like anything like a coyote so after the i see this animal i'm up in the gunner's turret and i see this animal and i'm shaking it off you know I, i'm thinking it's probably from too much coffee that morning or a little excited to get back when uh couple seconds later oh, it was probably about 150 meters ahead popped out maybe a little closer about 75 like I said it happened in 2011 I'm trying to remember as good as possible but so a couple minutes after it happened after we had, we already passed the spot where it popped out ran in the bush and I didn't see it after that my driver who uh, I, I served in Afghan with he uh, hits me on the leg and calls my name you know a hey, Dutch you know yeah So you see that and I was like, well, it depends. what you see? And he described the same thing. And when we got back and we were talking about it and further into detail, because, you know, we're going, what is about 25 miles an hour and the Humvee's roaring. Can't really hear, but we get back and only thing we can think to say is, well, we saw the Chupacabra. <laughs> so, um, go ahead and let me know what you think. Uh, I love the podcast. Love what you're doing. I'm really excited. Hopefully I can hear this song when I listen next time. And I'm also sending you a picture of... I went back and took a picture of where I saw it, as well as uh, I drew a sketch of what I remember it looking like. And uh, my buddy has confirmed that, yeah, that's what we saw. <laughs> Love what you're doing once again. Have a great one. Thank you.
0: Mighty kind of you, Dutch. A majority of these chupacabra accounts turn out to be known animals such as coyotes, foxes, and raccoons with a disorder known as mange. A parasite that irritates the skin to the point that the animal damages itself, leaving it hairless and somewhat misfigured. If I'm honest, the description the Dutch gave made it sound like this might have been a raccoon with that condition. The size, dog-like face, hand-like paws, and the raised rear... Give it away. Then again, there have been creatures matching the chupacabra description reportedly seen in SoCal. So who knows? Maybe something strange really is out there. Thank you again, Dutch, for sharing that submission. Oh, by the way, I searched for about 15 minutes, but I never found Dutch's email. So Dutch, if you're listening, send it again and I'll be sure to share. Now, I briefly mentioned it a bit ago, but if you're looking for some entertainment, why not consider joining Monsters Among Us Beyond over at Patreon? A $4 monthly pledge gives you access to the entire 30-episode backlog, several videos, and exclusive content. And get this, you can cancel after a month if you want. Visit Patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us. You can't miss it. And great news, a new episode will be dropping by the end of the weekend, and will feature a follow-up by Olivia, the caller from last week that shared a story about a dogman-like creature from my old stomping grounds in Ohio. I'll give you a hint, it pretty much blows my theory out of the water. So yeah, if you're able, please consider signing up today. Well, you'd think we'd be nearing the end, but that's where you'd be wrong these military folks really showed up. So that said, our next entry is another creepy one. This time from David in Georgia.
3: Hey Derek, this is David from central Georgia. I was calling in response to your need for military stories. And I have a few. The first one, I was in the army in the nineties, stationed at Fort Carson, Colorado. That was my first permanent party. And at the time, The Army would not let soldiers stay in the barracks during holidays such as Christmas and Thanksgiving. NCOs would have to go and pull people out of the barracks and take them to their their homes and their families. And that's what my platoon sergeant did. Uh, Me and a few others went to his house for Christmas. And he had a two-story house in a neighborhood that that had a finished basement. And it was kind of like a, a second living room down there. And we had dinner and, you know, It was getting close to night, and we were all drinking a little bit much, so me and two or three of the other guys decided we were going to sleep down there in the basement. Now, this NCO, he didn't have any infant children. He had two children that were, I believe, ages 9 and 10. And about the middle of the night, as we were laying there sleeping, we started to hear a baby cry. And we got up, and we're looking at each other, wondering where that's coming from, because you could tell by the sound that it sounded right near us or in the same room. And we were just about to walk up the stairs to the first floor when John, the NCO, opened up the door, and he asked if we were okay, and we said, hey, we're hearing something strange down here. And he just looks at us and says, listen, that happens all the time. It's no big deal. Just go back to bed. And that's what we did. We went back to bed, but we didn't go to sleep. Now, my second story, all these years later, I work civil service, I'm a mechanic on airplanes for the Air Force, and one day, I was working on C-17, I was at my toolbox doing paperwork, and one of my buddies was standing right next to me, talking to me, and as he was talking, I would see a flash out of the corner of my eye, and I looked over there, and I didn't see anything, so I went back to paperwork, and he never stopped talking, really, He's, he's known for that. But it happened again about 15 seconds later. I looked over there and I couldn't see anything. And of course he never stopped talking. Well, it happened a third time and I looked over there and, and he said, what are you looking at? And he turned around to see where I was looking. As And as soon as he did, there was another flash of light and you saw an apparition, really, walk right up underneath the wing. And I'd seen spirits several times in life. He'd never seen one, he'd never he didn't disbelieve or believe in him he just never had the opportunity to think about it or be around him i guess but it scared him pretty good and i almost had to grab him by the hand and drag him underneath that wing so that we could make sure nobody was trying to play a trick on us now this was in august and the area that we saw this apparition at was freezing cold and as we stood there you could you could feel but coldness just slowly dissipated. But those are my stories. Appreciate the show. Enjoy watching you on the TV. Take care, bud.
0: Thank you, sir. You know, I hate to make wild speculation, but that's never stopped me before. Why should tonight be any different? So what if what David saw wasn't a spirit, as he suggested, but rather something more akin to Rob's story about the men being dragged into the jungle another glimmer man I'm not grabbing at straws just simply offering another perhaps more plausible possibility could someone on base have had access to some sort of technology that then malfunctioned when it was near David and his buddy allowing them to briefly see the figure beneath and we certainly heard these stories before I hearken back to Justin and Harley's story from Idaho, from, I believe, season six. So it's at least something worth thinking about. And as for that first story, that kind of reminds me of one of my favorite memes. There's nothing more soothing than the laughter of a baby filling your home. Unless, that is, you don't have a baby. Thanks again, David, for sharing your tales. If you would please allow me to remind you to check us out on social media. We have awesome communities at Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and Twitter. In fact, at 9 p.m. Eastern, each and every Sunday, you can live-tweet the latest episode of Paranormal Caught on Camera with me. We go a little more in-depth, answer some questions, crack some jokes. That kind of thing. So join me, Brian Cano, and Aaron Sagers, by searching hashtag myparanormal a huge thank you to john josh sarah tony warren and the crypto den mom herself for all their hard work and dedication all right things are about to get even more weird to kick this scary stretch off the following submitters name and location are classified
13: Hey, Derek. So this is a submission for your military stories section. And uh, I thought my experience was pretty suitable for this. I also noticed that you had a few stories on uh, shadow people. And so that story I'm about to tell you is is tied directly to that. So um, initially, I was never a big believer in these so-called stories about shadow people or just shadow people in general. And and I'm going to tell you the one that I had, as brief as it was, is probably the most terrifying and chilling moment of my life. So first and foremost... I'm in the Marine Corps, and we often do a lot of amphibious operations and deployments and stuff like that, uh, where we, you know, we're going to be attached to uh, Navy ships to get us to where we need to go. So, uh, in my story, the year was 2015, and I was on my first deployment. I was attached to the USS Kearsarge, a little bit smaller than a uh, aircraft carrier, but it still has, you know, air and sea operation capabilities and stuff like that. It's also full of sailors and Marines at the time. Of this deployment, and so this is my second year in the military as well, and then you know operations began against the Islamic state when they were at their peak, so naturally, I was pretty happy to be, do my part in support of uh, operation' inherent results. So if you've ever been on a naval ship or have ever served on a naval ship, when it's time for you know taps, time for lights out. Uh, typically, that means the whole, all of the lights on the ship during nighttime you turned off. And, you know, these red lights come on so you can, it can help you navigate around the ship. So this is also a pretty ominous thing because, you know, you have these red lights and you're walking through the hallways alone at night and you hear the clanging of metal. So it's kind of generally, it puts you on edge a little bit. You know, where we have our sleeping spaces, it's called birthings as well. You know, they're all stacked on top of each other, these racks. And you'll have aisles where they, you know, separate people. Typically, there's about 24 people to an aisle. Each rack is adjacent to to the other, so there's twelve racks on each side, depending on how big of an aisle you have. Moving on, I was uh, I was having, you know, a late night at work, and I was ready to get some sleep. So I walk into, uh, you know, the dark living space. Uh, all the lights are off. Everybody's sleeping stuff like that. Uh, it's pretty funky. Has a, you know the smell of dirty socks almost all the time. And, uh, you know, there's, all the other Marines were sleeping there before my arrival. So this was a little bit strange because, you know, there was always some foot traffic, even late at night. So I wondered why it was like this. Why was it so quiet? Why was it so devoid of anybody there? Pretty much the room was so quiet, you can pretty much hear a pin drop in the distance, if you, you know, if it, if it did happen that way. So I got to my at the entrance of my aisle, and I walked a few feet forward to get to the top rack where I slept at. But for some reason, I was stopped like dead in my tracks. And I couldn't explain it. But I had this overwhelming sense of dread. And I just felt like I couldn't move. You know, even to this day, I still don't understand why. But for some reason, I just couldn't move. So my eyes still worked. I could still see what was in front of me. And, you know, I was looking at the red light in front of me because we had one at the very end of the aisle. And for some reason, this light just grew dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And I saw this, like, really deep darkness filling the aisle. Uh, and I'd never experienced like a darkness like this with so much dread, but something forced me to look up. And in front of me, there was this horrendous like sight of almost an eight foot figure, uh, like a shadowy figure standing in front of me. You know, and I made it face to face and it was looking almost directly at me. And it was all hunched over. And uh, it was just it was just horrible. Like I, I couldn't explain it any other way. I guess in hindsight, probably the shadowy head of what I thought I saw of its face was probably about 10 or 12 inches away from mine. And, you know, I sat there for at least like 10 seconds looking up at this thing. But slowly but surely, the shadowy figure pretty much dissipated. And, you know, the red light at the end of the hallway, at the end of the aisleway, whatever you want to call it, began to you know glow back and come back to normal. And, you know, I felt like I could move again, uh, you know, freely move again. So I sat there for a moment and I was just like, what the hell happened? I sat there for probably 10 minutes or so, just kind of pondering at the at this experience of mine. But, you know, I'm still tired. I, I still got to get sleep. Uh, I, I, I undressed, I crawled into my rack at the very top and we sat there for a few minutes before I went to sleep. So, you know, a few days went by and uh, the experience was still pretty fresh in my mind and I and everything in me wanted to tell somebody, but I didn't even I didn't want them to think I was crazy or anything like that, you know. So a few days went by, and I happened to hear this distant conversation of a fellow marine of mine who slept in another aisle or whatever. But he—his conversation was eerily similar to my experience. I walked up to him, and you know, I asked, "Hey, what happened?" and you know, I, I started telling him of my experiences and basically traded back and forth. And he looked surprised as if he thought he was the only one. And, you know, we went through almost every detail and everything about the story of mine and his, it matched up, you know, the lack of movement, the dread, the figure, especially the figure, and the fact that it just disappeared at the end of the experience. You know, the crazy part of this all was only two days later did another person in, in the living space also experience it, same details and everything, and he came up to us after, you know, he heard that we experienced something similar. Oh, an additional strange thing is that nobody's experienced it twice. You know, it's only been once with the same details and everything like that. So my curiosity pre- peaked at this point. I naturally did some digging on the internet, which was a really slow process. The internet on the ship is super slow, but I eventually found out that this is the fifth ship to be named the Cure Sarge. Every ship prior to this one had some sort of accident where sailors died in horrible ways, which makes me wonder if the name of the ship is just some crazy bad luck thing. And all of these shadow figures and shadow people, particularly this one maybe, were of sailors you know who were attached to the name or something like that. Whatever it may be, there's just shadowy figures roaming around these living spaces, possibly throughout the ship when. It's night, and you're most vulnerable, so to speak. You might be going through some sort of sadness or whatever, and maybe that's what it preys on. Maybe it's looking for the most susceptible victim to, to take over or to influence or to do something. So that's my, that's my story. Thank you. Hope you got something out of this and that somebody can explain it to me
0: further. Right, thank you. Bye. Thank you, caller. I don't know a lot, but I do know the only way to make a Shadow Man phenomenon more terrifying is to confine it to a ship full of people. Thanks again for sharing that one. Okay, one last announcement before I unleash these last few calls on you. This coming Friday, that's today for most of you, Friday the 15th, if you will, I'll again be attempting the UFO Watch. It doesn't really get dark until about 8.30pm, our local time, so my apologies to those of you back east. I have been working on a few gadgets to help search the stars, so to speak, so come swing by, say hello, 8.30pm, Friday the 15th, on Facebook, and hopefully, Instagram. But there's one element to each of these stories tonight that we've shared, and that is bravery. The bravery shown by these courageous service members. It is a similar, albeit much different type of bravery you'll need for these last two stories. To kick us off, we hear about a rather famous UFO encounter. The following is Henry's submission from the port town of San Diego. (laughs)
14: Hello, Derek. My name is Henry. I'm from San Diego, California. This is for your military special that you were calling out for. Actually, this is a story I've been intending to tell you for a long time. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, but I think now is a perfect time to tell this story. This is a story you may be familiar with, but I don't think you've ever heard it from this angle, or this is a different angle if you want to put it that way. So it's kind of a long story, um, so I'll just get right into it. In 2004, I was uh, in the United States Marine Corps and I was part of a Marine fighter attack unit. I won't give any unit numbers or give any names just to keep people's privacy intact. Like I said, in 2004, I went on a training detachment on the USS Nimitz. Around that time, what a fighter attack squadron will do along with the Navy, of course, is we go out to sea about Maybe 100 miles, maybe more, to an area of ocean that is pretty quiet. Basically, there shouldn't be anything out there. There shouldn't be any other civilian aircraft or civilian boats of any kind, except for the naval carrier group, which consists of many boats. I won't go into details. Yeah, so that's where we were. And like I said, it was in, around November of 2004. And the reason I remember that is because it was right around Thanksgiving. So, What uh, was going on there was uh, we were just trying to get all the training done before deploying in the next few months. That way we were ready to go. I'm not a pilot. I'm a maintainer, just to make that clear. What ended up happening, we were out in the ocean, and of course, uh, aircraft are going out and coming in, and we're in charge of securing them when they come back in and fueling them, doing maintenance, whatever, whatever the jets require, and pilots will let us know. Well, during that time, there was a rumor going around that pilots had seen a UFO. Just like all rumors, they spread, especially in a small area like an aircraft carrier. They they spread pretty quickly. It It was being talked about that, hey, our pilots saw this or somebody saw that. And uh, there's a schedule of flights uh, that are generally put out for what flights are going for that day and night. And they put like a little comic on there. And it's usually just something funny just to make the little light of everyday serious training. But people on small spaces. So the comics for like an entire week revolved around aliens and UFOs. And on, on an aircraft carrier, there's TVs in, in a lot of areas and they show a lot of training videos and that's how the commanding officer will kind of get his word out to people and it shows information. And one of those channels is just for movies. So when you have time off, you can kind of relax and, and just watch movies and the entire week they're playing alien movies. Um, back to the back to the original story um, about this rumor about UFOs. I didn't believe it. I thought it was like, whatever, everybody's talking about, yeah, you know, our pilot saw UFOs. I was like, yeah, right, whatever. I just didn't believe it. I just figured it was a rumor, just like anything else. Fast forward right before Thanksgiving that week prior, we go down into the hangar bay and we have a formation. And anybody that's been in the military understands what a formation is. The whole unit gets together, stands in a formation. And once everybody's assembled, they call fallout. And then everybody falls out around uh, the squadron's commanding officer for a, what they call a quote unquote school circle. Again, military folks will know what I'm talking about. And it's kind of like a quick one-on-one really casual conversation with a commanding officer. And he tells us, Hey, this is what's going on. And this is what the plan uh, is for the next uh, few weeks, few months, so on and so forth. So of course he does this. And when the commanding officer is, is done talking, he will always ask, does anyone have any questions? And generally. No one has questions for the commanding officer. No one wants to ask the CO, hey, you know, what's going on? And no one ever does. You always ask your lower ranking. You don't want to skip chain of command and go straight to the CO. But lo and behold, there was this young Marine that raised his hand and asked the CO, sir, hey, uh, is it true about the UFOs? Well, we all kind of laughed nervously and kind of chuckled, but we didn't think it was a very appropriate question to ask our commanding officer. That we kind of Everybody's kind of looking at each other like, who is this kid? somebody slap him you know oh my god i can't believe he just asked the ceo about ufo's so once the the chuckling kind of died down the ceo kind of smiled and he kind of looked at everybody nodded his head and then he says i'll tell you what um i i don't know what it was but i'll tell you what i saw cuz i was flying on a night that this thing appeared and that's when everybody was like wait what 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 did he just say so our ceo starts telling the story that's about when he he so so anyway so he was flying out there him some of our other aircraft uh, along with other naval aircraft um, doing training flight training whatever at night Um, so it was night operations out in the middle you know out in the pacific somewhere off the coast of california and the aircraft carrier and of course uh, another boat that's part of our carrier air group spots something they spot something on radar and they call into these aircraft that are in the air to intercept the quote unquote bogey. So they go to this spot, they're like, okay, this is real this is no longer training. This is a real world event. This is this is real stuff. Now granted, they're not they don't have weapons on them, they're just doing training. But they decide to to go to this area that they've been instructed to go. So to intercept this quote unquote bogey. So when they get to this area, um, sure enough, they see something flying low over the water. So, and it's it's what they describe as tic tac shaped oval light, about the size of a uh, an aircraft, a fighter jet, I guess. But it's oval. It's just it's not huge, but it's not small either. Uh, flying just just over the the surface of the water, and it's they know it's flying because it's moving too fast to be a, a boat, but it's it's still moving slow for an aircraft. Uh, they see it. Obviously, the the radar on the boat sees it, and the aircraft radar sees it and of course they have visual and this is at night so it really stands out Um, so they confirm they try to get low they they're they're um, talking back to the boat yeah so they see this thing and they're just trying to figure out what it is and they're trying to confirm can you confirm what this is and they're like no we don't know what it is it's tic-tac shaped light oval shaped tic-tac shaped So they want more details. They want them to get closer. Well, when they fly low to the water, they try to get a closer look. This thing immediately shoots up to about 10,000 feet in a matter of a second, maybe less like a blink of an eye. And of course they confirm this and it's just, it's instantaneous. There's no aircraft that we know of that can do this. So they're describing this back to operations on the carrier. They get back up to altitude and try to fly wing off of this thing. And this thing is just moving like crazy. It's going back and forth. It's maneuvering ways that they can't keep up with. They're flying fighter jets and they can't keep up with this thing. So at times it moves in ways in that they just can't keep up. And, and finally it settles between 10, 15,000 feet. Maybe I, I don't remember because it's been so long since, since this story was told to us by our CEO, but it, it kind of settled out and stopped moving around. So at this point, again, they see it visually, radar sees it, boat radar sees it, it's there, it's not giving any kind of transponder, no identification, no one knows what it is. So they try to fly wing off it, box it in aircraft to the left, aircraft to the right, above and front, below, behind it, and kind of box it in from the air as best they can. And try to fly wing off of it. If you've ever seen fighter jets like the Blue Angels or Thunderbirds or, or anything, you know that those these aircraft can fly pretty close to each other. So these jets try to close in and try to get a better description. And there's just no, there's no detail to this thing. It's an oval shaped light it has no details, no doors, no wings. They don't know what it could be made of. It looks like it's just made of light and it's moving and, and it's not giving off any kind of signature that an aircraft would. So again, they're describing this back and they can't make heads or tails of it. And no sooner than that happens than they get close to it, it shoots straight up into the stars and it's gone instantaneously, like it was never there. They lose visual, they lose radar signature. It's gone. Now they come back, um, they debrief, whatever. Um, there's video of this. Um, they have uh, every every training mission has video. Fast forward to today, really, and uh, I was telling the story to another pilot. I still work with the military and worked very closely with uh, fighter pilots. And he just happened to know uh, some of the guys that were involved in that. At the time, they were kind of laughing and joking about it, like watch some men in black show up and and take our tapes. Um, Just joking. And and no kidding, uh, an aircraft came on board, what they call a COD. Um, It's like a little prop aircraft uh, that the Navy has. Um, They can fly people on and off ship. Comes on board with basically these feds, these government guys in suits, and they come in, they want to see these videos, and they pretty much take all the videos they can find of this thing. Get back on this aircraft and leave the carrier, and they're gone. Nobody questions them, and they just take it. It's, it's very, very strange, because whatever credentials they showed, even the most highest-ranking people on the carrier they they just kind of put their hands up and just let them do whatever and they took those videos and it's, it's very very odd today i'm sure you've heard of the tic tac ufo off the nimitz if you haven't you can google it there's news articles there's there's an entire documentary on this stuff and other talk shows have, have talked about this but it's a it's a thing it happened and i've been telling this story since 2004 some people believe me some people didn't and the last couple of years, this thing has kind of become big now. Uh, I can pretty much say, hey, look, I told you so. I've been telling the story since then. And now it's really come to light. Uh, so appreciate you letting me call in. Keep up the great work and uh, look forward to listening to the next episode. Thanks. Bye.
0: That is incredible. Thank you for sharing that, Henry. Unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard that a while back a few UFO videos leaked that were claimed to have been taken by U.S. military jets. The videos, sometimes referred to as the Tic Tac video or the Gimbal video, both named due to their appearance, were released by Blink-182 member and founder of To The Stars Academy, Tom DeLonge, coincidentally about two weeks previous to the date of this recording, May of 2020. The Pentagon officially admitted that the videos are real and were captured by our military. Oh my
1: gosh. The Pentagon declassifying three videos of what they're calling unexplained aerial phenomena. It's <laughs> rotated. Two videos showing objects spotted by Navy fighter pilots during training flights in 2015. So why are they being released now? A spokesperson saying after a thorough review, the department has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems. DOD is releasing the videos in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real. Harry Reid, former senator of Nevada, home to the infamous Area 51, tweeting, I'm glad the Pentagon is finally releasing this footage, but it only scratches the surface of research and materials available. But the DoD not offering much more info, saying the aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterized as unidentified.
0: That clip comes courtesy of CNN. Now, I can't tell you how amazing it is to hear this experience from another angle. So thank you again, Henry, for sharing this. Truly an amazing story. Now before we close this thing out with one last call I recently sat down with Chad and Chris over at Paranormal Guys we talked about mirrored men and much much more so check out the show notes for that link and a big thanks guys had a lot of fun sitting down with you Alright our last submission takes the hell of war and adds a bit of a wrinkle this is Max Entry from Illinois Hey Derek this Mac
15: from Land of Lincoln. You're asking for military stories. Well, back in 92, I believe, when I was transferred from Korea to Fort Stewart, Georgia, uh, most of the people that I was with were already combat veterans from uh, Desert Storm. The MOS we had was an infantry MOS called 11 Hotel, or 11H. And that means we were anti-tank gunners. So we had a specialized weapon system called the Toe-2 system. I won't get into all the details, and people can look up uh, videos online for that. But the main crux of the story is that one of the men who were there, he was an older guy, and he wasn't known for really being a storyteller or anything. But one night we were outside the, barr- the barracks drinking, and one of the other guys says, Hey, tell him, tell him what you saw out there in the desert. So the night sight is the main sight that we use. And it's not like you see today with the green and the black. This is a thermal sight. It's kind of a red, white, black-looking vision. And you can see pretty far. And out in the desert, there's nothing. So he's on guard duty one night, and he's looking through the night sight. And he didn't really want to talk about this because he didn't know what he saw. But through the night side, you can pretty well see vehicles and people, and you can identify between the difference of the two, and animals. You can tell, like, what a deer or maybe even a camel would look like. But he was on duty that one night, and there's nothing in the desert. It's just flat. It's featureless. You can't see anything. But then he said something jumped up out of nowhere. So as he's looking through the night side out in the desert and he sees nothing, suddenly this thing comes up. He said it looked not like a man, but kind of shaped like a man. And he would jump down and then he would jump up and he'd run as faster than a human to another spot. And then he would jump down again. Then he'd jump up and he'd run somewhere else. And his description was, it kind of looked like a man. But it wasn't a man. He just did not know what it was. He said maybe he could have been wearing some kind of a thermal resistant suit, but it's kind of impossible because they really didn't have anything like that back then. So he watched this thing for about an hour, and I don't think he was the only one. I think there was others around him who were also watching through these night sights, seeing this whatever it was there was nothing out there but this thing we didn't know what it was it it would disappear then it jump up again and it run somewhere else and he said well it, his opinion was it, it could have been a guy in some kind of a, a weird suit because it didn't look like a, a a person it just looked like a a blob of some kind but not human not animal and definitely not a vehicle he couldn't explain it. He couldn't describe it other than that. He just talked it up to something strange. Any opinions would be great. Because he, like I say, he wasn't a storyteller. He didn't really even want to talk about it. But that's what he told us. Thanks, Derek. Have a great night.
0: Thanks, Mac. This one harkens back to Scott's call from Nevada way back in the early days of the program you may remember he described a man-sized spider with a human face while on patrol in bosnia well the two entries are very different yet they share common ground in that these men were on high alert trained to observe and be vigilant and be aware i don't know about you but i think that lends at least a little clout to each of those experiences and of course, there's the other side of this. The side that already has these gentlemen's lives in danger. and Their wits on end. Now they have to worry about spider people and the spring-heeled jack of the desert. But either way, thank you again, Mac, for that submission. And before I close this thing out, I'd just like to take a moment to thank all our veterans and enlisted members for their bravery and sacrifice. And while I'm at it, I'd like to thank their families. A huge thank you. And lastly, please stay safe. Now is not the time for conspiracy theories and wild speculation. Please heed the warning of doctors and scientists. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Andy Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And those bone-chilling tracks you hear, let's code.ag. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. still listening well that's good for you because i might have saved the best for the last the following story was sent to us anonymously and takes place in the middle of a war
16: hey bud new listener actually saw your plug for the podcast on the paranormal caught on camera show anyhow i figured i would write in I have had three very pivotal paranormal experiences, but I'll start with one that I can't stress enough is unexplainable and has several witnesses. To this day this blows my mind. I still hold a position in the Department of Defense so I would rather not use my last name. For generations it seems like paranormal experiences happen a lot in war. All sorts of unexplained stuff, from lights in the skies and World War I to Foo Fighters etc this one's a bit different though and to this day i have no idea what we saw in late summer of 2009 i was a light infantryman in the remote areas of eastern afghanistan i won't name the unit i was in or give exact locations etc for privacy and security and all those reasons there are only a handful of actual roads up in the mountains and being essential to security oftentimes we would hit the road to patrol for bad guys and pick a fight, which would happen on an almost constant basis. The road is essential, as it can enhance or block the flow of enemy movement, and it's also one of the easiest places to be found, so they really like to attack there. He who controls the roads controls movement and commerce, so yeah, it's important. Very late on this night in early September, we were on the main road, which is just a one lane dirt road, but whatever, it works. Anyway, we were rolling through town. This town is a bit different because it's pretty sparsely populated, was largely deserted after the Russians blew most of it up in the 80s, but a great thoroughway for enemy coming through the mountains from Pakistan to go elsewhere. So this small, mostly abandoned ghost town is creepy enough, but what makes it worse is we were attacked there on an almost constant basis, especially during the fighting season. We would engage pretty heavily a few times a week from this location, alone. Not far from there, and just a couple of weeks prior, one of our vehicles was nailed by a massive IED, so we were always on edge. But this night in particular was dark, must have been a new moon, or pretty close because there was no light at all, but it's a good thing we have night vision. While we were rolling through, no lights or anything, just basic patrol, seeing what we could see. We came to a house we have passed countless times. Houses here are more like compounds. They almost always have tall mud brick walls around them, and this one was no different. The walls completely eclipsed the floor of the house, and were estimated at 7 to 8 feet tall. As we come to the house, I am the roof gunner on the head vehicle, and I notice a bit of a glint in my night vision about 100 meters ahead, at the top of the wall. I am already on communication headset, So I let the driver, another enlisted infantryman, and my platoon leader, a lieutenant, know that I saw the anomaly. Because we were still traveling at a slow rate of speed by the time I finished relaying this information, I see it again. It's like a shine, the type of reflection you would expect from a raccoon at night. That time my driver sees it as well. Very brief, but it was there. As we get closer, the three of us see it, but this time... The eyeshine reflected two distinct eyes. I pressed my foot on the shoulder of the driver. He slowed the vehicle to a crawl. I slowly put my heavy weapon on the possible target. And just a split second into this action, I saw the eyeshine again. But we were so close, within 40 meters, that I could see a form. There were fingers from two hands clutching the side of the wall, and a very bright reflection coming from the eyes. But behind the halo effect, I could see the shape of a head. Someone was peering around the corner of that wall, discreetly, and very quickly taking a look and ducking back behind the wall for cover. Immediately after the figure ducked back behind the corner, and it registered that it wasn't an anomaly, or an animal, or some random reflection of IR light, it hit me. This is a spotter, and we were about to get hit by an ambush. I fired my main gun, an MK-19. Think a belt-fed machine gun that shoots grenades. And I peppered everything. On, around, on top, on the side. Basically, all around the corner took grenades. The LT radioed the other vehicle to let him know we were hitting a spotter to expect an ambush. And while I was reloading, another vehicle in the platoon convoy put a rocket into the wall. Once my reload was complete, my driver took us past the corner of the compound. And all the while... continued to engage the cornfield and all of the territory on the outside corner of the compound. We immediately cordoned off the area and took up defense positions but no attack came. Nothing came in. Nothing went out. It was such a desolate area and we had such advanced night vision and thermals. If anyone tried to run they would have had at least a half a mile sprint to any kind of cover. A small dismount group checked the compound for arms and tunnels. There was nothing. A lot of destruction, but no bodies, no living people, just nothing. And absolutely, 100%, no BS. No way to have escaped without being seen. Better yet is a guy that knows what he's doing in over 400 combat missions that is a better than fair gunner. There's no way with such a short amount of time that lapsed and how much ordnance I put directly on target, absolutely no way anything could have survived. I annihilated that 40 meter square with almost 100 grenades, and there was no other cover outside that small corn patch. It's just not possible to survive that, there should be a body. The three of us all saw the same thing, being exposed in an open turret, I got the best look. And I saw big eyes and long fingers, and I don't know any other way to describe it but it looked like a person, but oblong, and to make matters worse. Where this individual was peering from was about 7 to 8 feet up, and there was nothing on the other side of the wall to stand on, climb on, rest on, nothing. And this figure peered around the side of the wall nonetheless. Not even right over the top, but the side. I would say it looked like a giant human with features that were what the stereotypical grey alien creatures people report are. Yeah, that's right. It looked like an alien. And all three of us, trained combatants and observers, one of which, a West Point graduate, myself a college grad, and my driver, an experienced combat infantryman, all saw the same thing. And that's exactly what it looked like. Our official response was we saw a figure and expected an ambush, so we engaged. Fine. Easy peasy. Happens constantly over here. But this is a figure, and there was no way I could get away with calling it a person. Not saying it was an alien. not saying it was a human being. I just don't know of anything with fingers like that and a big head with such massive eyes that would reflect eye or light like that. Even in a country known for really messed up and strange deformities, this would have been a big stretch. And that's not taking into consideration that it might have been taller than seven foot to have looked around the side of the wall like that. We just let it go and didn't bring it up much. However, some time later, the folks at the neighboring outpost have also seen something similar. Had lights in the sky, aircraft being followed, and a mountain patrol of special forces being attacked and followed by something they couldn't identify. What makes this worse is that the local Pashtun tribes believe the mountains are covered in Jind, and giants in the mountain play a pivotal role in Afghan folklore. That's right, giants. And my interpreter had lots of folklore to share about those. Thanks for letting me share my story. Cheers.
0: Thank you, caller. That was intense. Now, there's not a whole lot I can say here. Obviously, something was seen. But, what was it? Our caller made a couple suggestions. And I believe the entity he was trying to refer to is the djinn. The djinn is not a ghost, not a human. It's something in between. Check out this little clip from Monstrum on PBS. That briefly describes this strange entity.
1: There's an ancient Arabic legend about a shapeshifter that can take the form of any animal. They can also appear as a living column of smoke or dust, or a giant human, and have been known to live trapped in a bottle. Jin are genies creatures believed to occupy the space between celestial and terrestrial worlds. Not quite monsters, not quite humans, and not quite celestial beings, the jinn are something different. But for many people, the genie is just some guy in a lamp who can give you three wishes, a way for you to get what you want without having to work for it. The jinn are a species all their own, more powerful than humans, and more meaningful than pop culture would have us believe.
0: If you guys aren't familiar with this program, uh, Monstrum is pretty amazing. The show is hosted by Dr. Emily Zarka, and she basically discusses all the world's monsters in, uh, in depth. I highly, highly recommend you guys check it out. You can find a link to this particular episode in tonight's show notes. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.
2: Star Star, see out.
15: Star Star.